We will study the Koran starting next week. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of you who are guests, you're like, really? No. No. It's our final time in Galatians, and we want to start this morning with a sermon, and, and we're going to put more of our songs on the back end as a, as a response to the truth. What we encounter here today, then we want that to fuel what we will sing and declare to this Christ who saves us and rescues us from sin. On your notes, I've put a little review for you in case you haven't been here, but we've been walking through and been able to summarize Galatians in a sentence. And uh, church, that sentence is, salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through, through, all right, through faith alone. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. But you were trekking, Mr. Tim. You were participating. That's all right. It's good points. That's right. Justification. God declares me righteous. How? Through what I do? In Christ. God declares me righteous in Christ. This is justification. We all have to be in right standing before God, and the only means for that is what Christ has done. Now, how many of you think that Paul is going to get all the way to the end of this letter, and he's going to use the infamous Greek word, psych? How many of you think he's going to use that? Some of you didn't know that was a Greek word, did you? It is. How many of you think he's going to say, forget all I've said about Christ's accomplishments. It's really about us and what we achieve. You think Paul's going to say that in these last words? How many of you think Paul is going to say something like, what's necessary for our right standing before God is Jesus' work plus our work. We need to add to Christ's work on the cross. When he said it's finished, it really wasn't. We need to add to that. You think he's going to say that? How many of you think he's going to say, boast in all you've done to impress God, the one who spoke creation into existence. See if you can impress him with all your great works. Do you think he'll say that? Now, how many of you think that he's going to say exactly what he said? There's only one place to boast, and it's in Christ. It's in Christ. This is what he's going to say. If we had to sum Galatians 6, 11 through 18, this, these final verses here into one sentence, it would be this. Our only boasting should not be in the work of man, which leads to condemnation, but the work of Christ, which leads to transformation. So I want to ask each of you today, is this where you are boasting? Are you boasting in what Christ has accomplished? Or are you boasting in what you're trying to accomplish? Are you boasting in your goodness, or are you boasting in Christ's goodness? Is it your work or Christ's? He's going to say in this passage today that there's only one thing that matters, and it's a new creation. He's going to say the only means to get there is the cross of Christ. So I want to teach you a phrase. Kainos, can you repeat that? Katesis. Let's say it again. Kainos, katesis. It's new creation. New creation. Kainos means new. Katesis means creation. Something that has never been there before. Something that has come. And what we're going to see is Paul says, this is the only thing that matters. And the only means to that is the cross of Christ and what he's achieved. How many of you have ever watched Nick at Night? Anyone watch Nick at Night? You know it began in John chapter 3. The very first Nick at Night was in John chapter 3. And there was a large bass sound. And what happened was the religious leader, Nicodemus, came out to Jesus in the middle of the night, in the middle of the bushes. And he's all like, psst, Jesus. Jesus is like, what is that? It's a weird bird. Jesus, you know. Who's calling from the bushes? It's Nicodemus. He says, I've got a question for you. How, 
how is this possible? We know you're from God, but what is it you're teaching? And Jesus is going to say something to Nicodemus that warms our soul. He's going to say this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus tells Nicodemus in the middle of the night, in the middle of those bushes, still holds true for us. Unless one is born again, he cannot be a part of the kingdom of God, cannot see the kingdom of God. The baptisms that we just saw are not the cause of being born again. They're the celebration of having been born again by what Christ has done internally, and we celebrate that externally. What we want to be able to say is what John wrote in 1 John 3, we know we have passed out of death into life. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that you've passed from spiritual death into spiritual life? All that matters is a new creation in Christ, and the only way for this to happen is the cross of Christ. If you take the sum total of religious acts by man, be it circumcision, be it fasting, be it prayer, be it sacrifice, be it martyrdom, they will never achieve what the one act of Christ did on the cross. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read verses 11 through 18. We're going to ask the Lord to teach us from this final passage in Galatians. Beginning in verse 11, here's what Paul writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, we thank you for this text and that you've preserved it, that we may encounter it today. Father, would you cause your spirit to light this text up to us, to illuminate this text? Would you give us eyes to see the wondrous truth in your passage today? Would you help us to see the importance of the new creation and the cross of Christ and that this would be the only place that we boast, not in all of the religious things that we may do or any goodness that we think we have in us. May we see those, as Paul says, as rubbish. And may we see our only hope for righteousness in Christ. Would you please feed us? Would you cause life today through your word? Would you anoint the preaching of your message? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As we begin, we're going to start with Paul's last words to the Galatians. And he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Who knew the first bold print Bible, right? The large print Bible started with Paul. Big old scroll. They're like, whoa, this is ginormous, right? Uh, these are his last words. He's going to say, in essence, two things. He's going to say, listen to me, don't listen to them. In these last verses, he's going to say, listen to me, don't listen to them. In the closing of the letters, it would be a, a final rundown. And usually there were final blessings and kisses and these kinds of things. Paul doesn't do that with the Galatians. He closes with them the same way he started with them. When he began, remember, he didn't start with, hey, I love you guys. He's like, what's wrong with you guys? 
You're leaving the gospel, and there is no other gospel to go to. That's how, he closed. That's how he opened. And he closes in a very similar fashion. He doesn't say, give high fives to my friends there in Galatia. Thank, thank Mama Jewel for her beans. You know, he doesn't give any of these friendly uh, kind of greetings. He closes and says, listen to me. Don't listen to them. There's only one thing that matters. It's the cross of Christ. This is where we boast. This is where we want to be. So there's some speculation. Why is he writing with such large letters. And it's amazing how scholars will speculate about stuff we'll never know. It's amazing how much content in books can be filled with stuff that you just don't know. Some are like, well, he has poor eyesight. So he's like, alpha, beta, you know, he couldn't see. Some will say, well, his hand's crippled from the abuse. The issue is not how he wrote, friend, it's what he wrote. And what we're certain of, Paul would take the pen at the end of each of these letters, and it would be his autograph for authenticity to say, look, I've been scribing. I've been giving this letter. There's a secretary that's been writing, but look, I'm closing this letter with my own hand. This is the authenticity of it. And instead of just doing a little thing, Paul gives them a whole paragraph. And so what we're certain of, Paul's just saying, look, I'm writing this. Pay attention. Parents, have you ever tried to communicate something very important to your children? Have you ever tried to do it maybe before they went off to school? Before some of you have parents, uh, children have gone off to college. Arabella's going off to first grade, and I'm trying to think, what can I communicate to her that would be important, right? Uh, some of you have done it as a child goes off to college or maybe before they go on a date. How many of you dads have communicated something very important to a boy who picked up your daughter before they went on a date? I'm already preparing that speech. I've already prepared it. I will kill you. That's the essence of it. That's, that's, I'm going to polish it a little bit as the years come, but that's the essence of it, right? Uh, what about before you send a child off to war? Final words that you say to them. These are the final words. And here's what he's saying. How many of you want to protect the voices that would cause your children harm? How many of you would want to protect your children from those voices? And how many of you know those voices rage all the time? They rage in the media. They're in our homes, whether we know it or not. You, you let it in through television. You let it in through radio. The voices that would cause them harm are all around us already. They're already preaching, friends. That's why we can't be bashful about teaching our children the things of Christ. But you would want to protect them, right? Especially if, if you listen to these guys, here's the problem. They're going to get you to boast in yourself, and that's going to lead you to one place, eternal wrath. So if you listen to these guys, it's going to cost you your soul. So Paul's writing, he's like, this isn't trivial. This is ginormous. Don't listen to them. And he gives you three reasons right here in this text why not to listen to them. He says this, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And then he says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's going to say later at the end of verse 13 that they may boast in your flesh. And here we see reason number one why you don't listen to them because how many of you know if you say something to your children, don't do this, the first thing they're going to ask is, why not? All right? They're going to ask, why not? Paul answers that for you. He's like, you want to know why you shouldn't listen to them? Because number one, they only care about themselves and not you. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to boast about your flesh. They want to go back and say, we got them. We got these converts. Look at our numbers. Look at how many we got. They want to send them in to the home base in Jerusalem, and they want to boast about it. They're craving the applause of men. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. 
says, you look good, but on the inside, you're deaf. And he's saying here, look, they don't care about you. They care about one thing, the glory of men. Jesus addressed the crowd in John 5, and he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? He said, they're not after your best interest, Galatians. They only want to boast about you. They want to use you for their own promotion. They want the applause of men because they're going to be rewarded when they come back and be, you guys did a great job in Galatia. Look at all the converts that you had to this system. Good for you. They want to use you. They're not for you. Number two, they're cowards who compromise the gospel message. Don't listen to them because they're cowards who compromise the gospel message. He says, look, it is those, in verse 12, who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they're changing the message because they don't want to be persecuted. Don't follow these guys. They're cowards. They're compromising the one gospel so they won't get in trouble for it, so that they won't experience persecution for it. So don't listen to cowards who compromise the one life-saving message. Number three, they're hypocrites who don't live what they proclaim to you. He goes on to say in verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He's like, you can listen to them, but they're not even doing what they're telling you. So they want you to be circumcised, but they're not even keeping the law. Paul would tell us, obviously, we, we can't keep it. It's not possible to keep it. But his point to them is, these guys are calling you to something they're not living. So you don't want to follow these type of teachers. And friends, they're in our world today. They are in our world today. There are religions that will emphasize the glory of men. There are religions that will emphasize what we do and what we achieve, and that will only get you eternal wrath. That will not give you life spiritually. That will not give you hope. So don't listen to these guys who change the gospel because they want to fit in with other people. If you change the gospel, you depart to something that is no gospel. There is no other gospel to go to. So we don't want to be those who are in Baton Rouge or compromising the gospel because we don't want to be persecuted. Friends, it's better to be persecuted for the true gospel than to end life without it. So we don't have another message. I don't have another message for Baton Rouge. This is the one gospel, and that's Paul's point. And so we don't want to follow people who don't want to stand on the gospel. That will only lead you in eternal death. All right? So Paul said, here's some reasons. You're going to be a number to them. You're a notch on their belt. External, external conformity to the religion of man will only yield condemnation. Our finest religious achievements will only yield condemnation and judgment. So here's what Paul's saying. They want to boast in your flesh? Don't boast in this. There's nothing to boast about. The picture I love is imagine going to the Grand Canyon and you take your shovel and you, build, you dig a little hole next to the Grand Canyon. And then you're like, everybody come look at my ditch. Look at how big this is. Look at what I have done in the backdrop of the Grand Canyon. It's massive, right? And listen, Paul says, there's no boasting in this. This gets you nowhere. We don't want to be the people who follow in this path. We want to boast in what Christ has achieved in his accomplishment. Home Depot says, you can do it. We can help. Theologically, we want to say, no, you can't. You know why? Because all the external conformity in the world Friends, circumcision, baptism, fasting, singing songs in church, giving tithes, all the external conformity in the world will never produce a new heart inside of us. You can do all the things behavior-wise you want, 
But none of those, the sum total of those, will never do what only Christ can do from the inside out. Inside out. So that's why we get to point two. There's only one thing that matters, a new creation. Paul writes with that love and says, don't listen to them, listen to me. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For those of you who have not been with us, one of the things in Galatians, uh, you're dealing with Gentiles, and Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And what Paul is teaching is that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, all that's necessary is Christ. But there were Judaizers who came from Jerusalem that will say, if you're a Gentile, in order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. And the way to do that is through circumcision, through keeping the covenant, through keeping the law of Moses. And so what Paul is saying here now as he ends it, it's what he said all along. He says, in the end, circumcision nor uncircumcision matter. That's the work of man. What matters is a new creation. That's the work of Christ. In the end, it's not about any of these external things. If, until we realize we must be born again and why, we probably will not realize what our condition really is without salvation. Do you know why we need to be a new creation? Paul's saying this morning that one thing matters, and it's being a new creation. So we probably don't want to miss this this morning, right? So why do we need to be a new creation? And how many of you have ever been around a dead body? Anyone ever been around? You lost a loved one and buried them? We call them corpses, right? We call them corpses. Let me ask you a question. Does makeup solve a corpse's greatest problem? No. Does clothing solve a corpse's greatest problem? No. Does anything externally solve a corpse's greatest problem? What is it that a corpse needs? What is the corpse's greatest problem? Life. The corpse needs life, right? So what the Bible tells us is the reason that we need to be a new creation, it doesn't matter what you do externally with your behavior or your patterns, what is needed is something inside because the Bible says that we're dead. But the situation is worse. I want you to imagine a corpse, and then I want you to imagine three chains around that corpse because the Bible says not only are we dead, but we're in bondage to the flesh, the world, and the devil. So it is as if spiritually we have a dead body and there are chains around that that, sum, that summarize the flesh, the world, and the devil. So when, uh, when we see the message of the Bible, why we need it, there are reasons I've listed for you. If you've not read John Piper's book, Finally Alive, it's a great summation on regeneration. I would encourage you to do it. But here are a couple reasons that the Bible gives of why we need to be a new creation. One, we've already covered it. We're corpses. We're spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Number two, we are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2.3 says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of my, mankind. So it's not that we had a good nature and then do bad things and get a bad nature David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So it's not that we have lost our nature. Friend, we came out with a wretched nature because of the fall, because we're all born in Adam. So we're born dead, and we're born with a nature that is wrath. We're born with a nature that is against God. Number three, we love darkness and hate the light. John 3, 19 through 20. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. What happens because of our condition is we reject spiritual light, but we embrace spiritual darkness. We're not neutral to God. 
We're not neutral. We're against God. Number four, we have hearts that are hard like stone. Ephesians 4.18 is not an encouraging verse because we get beat up. Here's what Ephesians 4.18 says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In that verse alone, those that are separated from God are darkened, alienated, ignorant, and hardness of heart. So what we need is not a better heart. We need a brand new heart. What we need is not bypass surgery on our heart. We need complete transplant. We need a whole new heart spiritually. One more thing. We are hostile to God. We cannot submit and will not submit to him. Romans 8, 7. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We are unable to accept the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Friends, this does not paint a good picture. And this is what I would ask you. What do you think circumcision will do about any of those problems? What do you think uh, will benefit externally? Will there be any benefit to the internal problems that the Bible says that we have without Christ? Will keeping the law change us? No. Paul says, first of all, you can't keep it. Second of all, if you did, it wouldn't gain you anything. None of the things we do externally are going to change us. So what do we need? We need a new creation. We need it in Christ. What is it? It's not new religion. It's new life. And it's not the improvement of our old human nature. It's the creation of a new nature. When we are new creations, we are spiritually alive. Ephesians 2, 4 says, God, though we were dead in our sins and transgressions, made us alive in Christ. So what happens is God does something inside of us through his gospel to bring life, to bring a new heart, as he says in Ezekiel, to take the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. It's find in Romans 8 that those who are new creation, in Romans 8 it says they're indwelt by the Spirit, they walk by the Spirit. They put to death the deeds of the flesh. But most importantly, they love God. See, the incredible thing about being a new creation is not just now I know what God wants and I'm doing what God wants because you can't do that before he moves in you, right? You can't do that without being a new creation. It's impossible to please him. The big thing is not just that I know and I do. Here's the great change about being a new creation. Now I want to do what God wants. I want to do because he has changed my desires and my will. Galatians gives the big picture of we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. We're walking by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced and then the love that we have for others. All these things point to a new creation because without that we wouldn't be there. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is where we're able to say with John, I know that I've passed from death to life. And that's what I'm asking you today. Can you say that? I know that I'm a new creation. I know that Christ has invaded me. I know that he has changed me. And I'm a new creation. So he says here in verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. They're the work, uh, external work of man, and they don't produce what the internal work of Christ can. Here's the picture. Remember we started. So we are corpses, right? We're corpses. And we're wrapped with three chains. One is the flesh, one is the world, one is the devil. And in that state, we remain. 
until our liberating king comes and he speaks a word over us and he speaks a word in us. And that word is this, live. Live. That's what happens. Now the question is, how does that happen? When does that happen? That's why Paul gives you the only thing that matters is a new creation. But point three here in our outline, the only means of that, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Do you know when it is when God speaks that word over us? When we hear the gospel. When we hear the gospel. What Jesus does in our heart is he causes us to be able to grasp it and say, this is true, and he speaks a word of life. First Peter 2, where we started our service, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Philip Ryken has said the cross is not just something to boast about, it's the only thing to boast about. So we have those that Paul says, listen, don't listen to these guys because they boast in the flesh. Us, we want to be those who boast in Christ. Do you know what boast means? You know what it means? My Tara will always say, when, when I played football, my dad had this ginormous flag with my jersey number on it. And he would take it and wave it to the games. You know, Sometimes I wish he was still here because as a preacher, it would be encouraging if dad were in the back. Just you know, wave the flag. Wave the flag, you know. There was no doubt dad, dad would boast in certain ways. But the idea of boasting here means to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, to live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons. It engrosses our, our attention. It absorbs our time and energy in a word, our glory. That's the other word that can be used here. So glory in the flesh, glory in the cross, or boast in the flesh, boast in the cross, in other words, our glory is our obsession. Our problem is our normal boasting is in us. Our normal boasting is us. Paul's not going to have anything to do with it. He did not boast about his popularity. He didn't boast about what he made on the ACT. He didn't boast about his influence. He didn't boast about how pretty he looked. He didn't boast about his income or job performance. He didn't boast about his circumcision or anything else, even spiritual. Matter of fact, in Philippians 3, he says, I count everything else as loss. And he says the reason is... It's rubbish. And the reason that I know it's rubbish is because I've seen Christ for who he is. And when the light shines, you know, our children are in the place right now where Adelaide doesn't like to go in a room. It's dark. It's dark in there. But when the light shines, she sees everything as it is, and she knows it's okay. What happens is when Christ's light shines, we see everything as it is, and we see him for who he is, and so it's nothing. We're not going to take pride in anything else because Paul says it's rubbish, and who is it's like, look at my rubbish, or the other word here is dung. Look at how awesome my dung is. Awesome, you know? No one with the right mind does that, right? No one with the right There are people who do it, but not with right minds. And so we're not going to take pride in that. What we're going to be with Paul is we're going to be the same as John Newton. I once was a wretch, and Christ saved me. I was a wretch, and he saved me. So you know what Paul preached about? It's what he boasted in. He preached about the cross and Christ. In Galatians 3.1, we've already covered it. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. How is it the Galatians, who were far away from Jerusalem, how is it that Jesus could be publicly portrayed as crucified if they weren't even near Jerusalem while Jesus was being crucified? You know how it is? 
Because Paul preached the gospel to them. Paul declared it to them. And as he's preaching it, he says it's Christ being publicly portrayed to you as crucified. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, the stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he says, we preach Christ, cru- we preach Christ crucified. And the reason is because it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in Romans 1, as he opens the letter, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? Power of God for what? Salvation to everyone who believes. So he says, I'm not ashamed of this. This is the power of God. This is the only hope. As we proclaim Christ, all right, as we proclaim Christ, this is what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So remember, we're corpses, and we have chains around us, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And what happens is the gospel is proclaimed. The very one who spoke in the very beginning and said, let there be light, what Paul says is was the gospel is proclaimed, God does the same thing in our heart. And he says in our dark, cold, stone heart, let there be light. Live. And there's life that comes into us. And it is through the gospel. This is the power of God. So why does Paul boast only in Christ? I put it there for you in your notes. Because the cross means that God loves us enough to die for us. That he saved us through the death of his dear son. The cross means that we've been redeemed, that Christ has paid the whole price for our salvation. The cross means that we have forgiveness for our sins, that Christ offered himself as an atoning sacrifice to take away our guilt. The cross means that we are justified, that God now accepts us as righteous in his sight. His wrath has been turned away, and now we stand innocent before him. The cross means we have been liberated. Colossians 3.15, right there in your notes. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And what we've seen in Galatians in our study is this, that in Christ alone I'm dead to self. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Christ, I'm dead to self. In Christ alone, I'm dead to the flesh. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then what he says here in 6.14, I'm dead to the world because of Christ, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you see what happens. We're a corpse. We're wrapped in these chains. And as the gospel is proclaimed, God says, live. And there's light where there's been nothing but darkness. And then as we preach the cross of Christ, chain one is broken because the power of Christ. Chain two is broken because the power of Christ. Chain three is broken through the power of Christ. So it is not circumcision, it's crucifixion that is the hope for the world. And that's why we proclaim it. And that's why we boast in it. Because I wasn't good enough to set myself free. I wasn't good enough to cause life in myself. It wasn't because I went to Bible drill. It wasn't because I grew up in church. It's certainly not because I've been to seminary and on mission trips to Chile and Germany and Africa. It's none of those things. When I come in here week in and week out and when I go out, the only boast I have for righteousness is Christ. It is his work, not my work. The only hope I have for being overcoming the world is Christ. That's the hope. 
There is no other power. Chains stay on us if it's about circumcision. If it's about external work, chains stay on. And Christ, chains fall off. This is the hope of the world. This is why we didn't go anywhere else. The Gettys have written a song called The Power of the Cross. And I put it there for you. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. And then their courses, this, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. It goes on, oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, Every bitter thought, friend, everything you've ever done, every evil deed, every sin you've ever committed, crowning your blood-stained brow. Now the daylight flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. That's what Paul has been preaching. We don't add anything to the work of Christ. It's complete. It is finished. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. And that's where they end with the final course. This, the power of the cross, son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. And as Paul writes his last paragraph, and I don't know why he's using big letters, but he's calling attention to it to say, you know, the only way that we will boast, the only thing that I will boast in is what liberates us. And that's the cross of Christ. This is the power to overcome whatever sin you're struggling with week in and week out. It's not you being a better person. It's Christ and living in his power through the day. This is your only hope, friend. If you want to be right with God, it's not becoming a member of Crosspoint. It's becoming a member of Christ's family. It is the power of Christ. That is our only hope. There's no way to boast about what we've done and what Christ has done at the same time. As John Stott says, if we boast in ourselves, we shall never boast in the cross and in the ability of Christ crucified to save us. We have to choose. Only if we've humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting of ourselves, fly to the cross for salvation, and spend the rest of our days glorying in the cross. The cross declares that sinners may be justified before God and by God, not because of any works of their own, but because of the atoning work of Christ, not because of anything that we have done or could do, but because of what Christ did once when he died. You see, friends, we deserve condemnation. We deserve eternal separation from Christ. But through the cross, the word of mercy is spoken over us. The word of grace is spoken over us. And look at what Paul says in verse 16, because it's very important. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Who is it that experiences the peace and mercy of God? Those who flee to Christ, not those who try to be better people. Who is it that experiences the peace and mercy of God? Those who boast in Christ, not in all their religious accomplishments. Who is it that receives the peace and mercy? Those that walk in Christ, not those who walk in their own power. We want to be these people. If we are these people, then you should know if we boast only in the cross of Christ, we will be persecuted. 
Persecution for the cross of Christ is far better than perishing without Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5.11, we've already covered it, but he says, if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul was being persecuted because he didn't preach the law of Moses. He preached the cross of Christ. And he says, why am I being persecuted? Because this is the one message. Paul experienced incredible persecution. 2 Corinthians 11 is a, is a list. And for those of you who may not be familiar, in uh, almost there. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul just says, beginning in verse 23, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. You know what that means, right? So he's tied up, and five times he's whipped with 39 lashes each time. Can you imagine what Paul's back looked like? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And we studied that when we started. The incredible picture. Paul is drug out of a town. He's stoned with these rocks that would have been thrown to him. He then gets up and goes back into the town. And then moves on to the next town for the sake of the gospel. He goes on in this to say, I was three times I was shipwrecked. You don't want to get on a boat with Paul. It may not go well. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, in part from other things, there's daily the pressure on me of my anxieties for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not, uh, I am not indignant? If you look back in Galatians to our focus text, he just says in verse 17, Let no one calls me trouble, for I bear on the body the marks of Jesus. He says, you want to talk about marked? Here's my body. I bear the marks of Christ. And in those days, the branding was the identification of a slave. And that's the idea behind this word marks. He says, I know who owns me. It's Christ. But I'm not boasting in any of those. I'm boasting in Christ, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But you know that when you suffer for Christ, when you're persecuted, right, it's as if Christ is persecuted. Because if you'll remember, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up in a bright light, right? And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you, what, persecute me? So, friends, we want to be those who share in the sufferings of Christ. There is a way to escape it, though. There is a way you don't have to suffer for Christ and you don't have to be persecuted. All you have to do is what he said. Compromise the gospel. But if you do that, Paul has warned you at the very beginning of Galatians, there is no other gospel. And anyone who changes it, he says, let them be damned. Let them be accursed. So you can escape the persecution of man, but you will not escape the judgment of God. So there is a way not to share in the sufferings. Just change the message. But if you change the message, you don't have freedom to do that. There is no other power to break sin and to bring life but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to suffer, let us suffer for proclaiming and boasting in the cross of Christ. This is the only hope for Round Oak. This is the only hope for the capital and those who work in it. This is the only hope for 30,000 souls at LSU. This is the only hope 
for Oxy and Dow and Exxon. This is the only hope for Pakistan, where there's incredible flooding today. May we see the message that Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish too. This is only hope for Moscow, where people are dying at double the daily rate because of the smog and the fires. This is the only hope for China and the mudslides. There's only one hope for the world. It's the gospel. I love how Paul ends, and it's how he ends most of his letters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Generally, his first word and his last word are the same. Grace. And grace is unmerited favor. Nothing that we do. You know what happened? God in eternity past made a decision to give grace. God in eternity past made a decision to give mercy to people who never deserved it and people who could never earn it. And to seal that decision, he gave his son to take the punishment that we should have earned so that Paul can end his letter and he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a great word. Galatians is salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. We're going to transition now to a time to sing in response to the truth that we've encountered here. And speaking of singing, I don't know if you know who Isaac Watts is, but Isaac Watts lived in the 1700s, an incredible hymn writer, written tons of hymns. And he actually